Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with you. Steve Shippey back with us as well. Filmmaker, paranormal expert. Steve is the host of the Travel Channel show Haunting in the Heartland. He grew up in a small town near Saginaw, Michigan, and literally was the kid living in the creepy house on the corner. He was a victim of a severe haunting, actually witnessed several apparitions, and after investigating his own situation, he discovered a shocking truth. The previous owners had been brutally murdered. Shippy has produced and directed countless feature films and documentaries, including A Haunting on Hamilton Street, A Haunting on Dice Road, and A Haunting on Brockway Street. He investigates haunted locations to uncover the truth. Steve, it's a wonder you haven't been hurt yet. Welcome back. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Everything good? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I keep thinking, every time you uh, I see your bio about Saginaw, Michigan, you know I grew up in Detroit and would get up the Flint every once in a while. It's a great area. Great area. Yeah, absolutely. You still have friends up that way? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm still in Saginaw. Was it this episode at your house that got you into this? In, yeah, into the you know paranormal, absolutely. Um, having that experience and being around the paranormal at that age. And uh, also, I had an aunt that was a really well-known uh, medium in the Detroit area, and um, so kind of, you know, obviously from that experience and that influence, certainly. Now, you've dealt with a lot of cases, and one of them we're going to talk about tonight is called the Gainesville Ripper. How did that come about to you? Well, uh, I guess to make a long story short, we were approached about taking on this dark case. Uh, by we, I mean uh, Cindy Kaza and I. And Cindy and I had investigated uh, the Ed Gein case, uh, uh-huh. you know, Ed Gein, the real psycho, and so after Cindy and I took on such a dark case of a notorious killer uh, like that, they we were chosen to take on a case uh, once again with another sadistic, brutal murderer that um, is still said to wreak havoc in the afterlife, so we were brought in to investigate. Cindy, of course, being the psychic medium that she is, right? Absolutely. The, the case of the Gainesville Ripper occurred back in the 1990s, 1990s, as a matter of fact, uh, it was a horrible situation in Gainesville, Florida, right, with a fellow by the name of Danny Rowling. He was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I'm convinced, Steve, his father created this sickness in this poor young man. I completely agree. Uh, you know, as we uncovered all the layers of Danny Rowling and, and realized the, the trauma that he went through, uh, how bad, you know, he was essentially tortured as a child, you know, beaten severely, uh, you know, mentally abused, physically abused. And uh, even uh, Danny's grandfather had actually cut his wife's throat in front of Danny's father. So you could see where the, you know, kind of that awfulness went into Danny's father and then thus into him. And it's uh, generational. I mean, it's just such a disturbing story. The fellow is Danny Rawling, and his father was a police officer, told the kid when he was little he never wanted him to be born. You're right. He tortured him. And uh, did, didn't he kill his dog while the little boy was holding it? Yeah, yes, he did. Oh, my God. Yes, he did. So this, uh, this kid grows up and does the same thing to people. How many people yeah. did he kill? He was a serial killer. He murdered, yeah. what, four or five people? Actually, it was eight total. Oh, my God. Yeah, because, uh, you know, come to find out that you know, everybody really thought that it was the murders in Gainesville that that was all that he had done, but he had actually murdered three people in his hometown, in his hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. And there's a lot of 
suspicion that there were more victims. Gosh. What did, did, did you uncover anything differently than what some people had already known about this individual? I mean, you know, definitely we had learned a lot of different pieces of information by interviewing uh, Danny Rowling's fiance, um, you know, hearing firsthand accounts from her. Um, you know, and what we were really diving into was the paranormal aspect of this case because there were people experiencing activity in certain areas that they really believed to be Danny Rowling. So that was kind of a, our primary focus, but at the same time we were looking to kind of peel back the layers and dig deep into what actually he had done and why he felt that it wasn't him actually doing it, that he believed he was possessed by a demonic force. He was uh, executed by lethal injection in 2006, and at that point people thought this was the end of him. Maybe it isn't, is it? You know, I don't, I don't believe it was. Uh, I don't believe it was. But these demonic forces that he blames compelled him to murder. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, he had referred to a spirit named Gemini. And, you know, through all of his, uh, his diary recordings uh, that we actually play in the documentary, some of them, but, he, you know, he recorded countless recordings, drawings, uh, you know, and, and, and writing that he believed, and, you know, and told his fiancée as well, that he was not in control, that something else would take him over. He called this demon Gemini and blamed uh, basically demonic forces for this behavior. That was what he was trying to say. And when Cindy was on the case with you, what were some of the things she felt? Okay, so Cindy had said repeatedly that she had never encountered a case like this. And I've worked a lot with her. And, and what really amazed me was she just kept saying over and over, I've never dealt with anything that is this manipulative. Uh, she believed at one point she was definitely talking to Danny. Then she felt that she was being tricked. Um, it, it really affected her um, severely. And then ultimately, you know, she concluded that there definitely was an inhuman and demonic presence uh, while we were investigating. I saw a picture of him. He was about uh, 37, 38 years old in this photograph and looked like a normal guy. He, 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 you know, you, sometimes these serial killers have this certain look to them. He didn't at all. Yeah, no, he did. In fact, you know, to me, he always seemed like he looked sad. You know, that's kind of a meek individual and always had, you know, sad kind of looking eyes, uh, which is interesting. What, uh, in your investigation, did you come up with any conclusions? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we started off the investigation uh, in Gainesville, Florida, and investigating the campsite uh, where Danny would hide. You know, he was, he was homeless. He was living in a tent, uh, you know, deep in the woods. Uh, but then he would go out at night, and this is when he would target his victims, you know, and, and do the graphic and horrible things that he did, and then return to this campsite. Uh, he would sit there by the fire. He would make his recordings, even record songs, uh, leaving messages to his father and other people uh, trying to say, he wasn't in control, and um, so we were there. We definitely made contact. We had a lot of hits on our meters. Cindy was picking up on what she believed to be his spirit, and uh, she kind of hit on a couple of things about his inadequacies, if you will, and then that seemed to really aggravate the situation. How did they catch the guy, Steve? Well, you know, long story short, he, he was involved in so many things. In fact, right now I have this huge file 
um, in front of me. He was involved in petty theft. He was involved in robberies. And ultimately, uh, it was his his behavior in that sense that led the police to go out into the woods there looking for the suspects, and then they ultimately found a tent um, and realized that these items here in the tent has to be related to the Gainesville Ripper. And some of the other you know, homeless people that kind of camped out in that area gave the police the information on who he was, and during a robbery, um, as they were pursuing him, he was caught. And with this evidence, uh, there was no getting out of it. There was no denying it was him. Did anybody ever testify or say, you know, he was a nice guy or average guy or anything like that? You know, not necessarily. Uh, nobody really came to his defense and that. You know, he was always known to be strange. And, and, you know, really, when you dig into his past, and again, with all these files here in front of me, I see, you know, so many different accounts. He basically had that serial killer upbringing, if you will. He was you know, killing small animals, torturing little animals. He he started doing voyeurism even in his early teens, watching people through the window. So Jeez. there were so many warning signs that this man was a ticking time bomb. I mean, you know, it, it was all there. What do you think about the demonic excuse as opposed to knowing what his father did to him when he was a little boy? You know, so I have a couple of different theories on that. I mean, certainly at some point, um, I, I do believe he was involved in some occult behavior, uh, you know, as, as much as I've researched the case. Uh, I do believe he was playing around with certain things. That certainly could have been the entry point. But, you know, even beyond that, you have to kind of wonder sometimes, if somebody is capable of doing these type of deeds and he's claiming that he's doing it because of demonic possession, in some way, one could think, could he have actually created the demonic possession by doing it, because ultimately mm-hmm. he's calling in a demon, giving it a name, and then committing these acts in the name of. You went to his home in Shreveport, Louisiana when he was a little kid, right? Yes, we did. What happened there? Well, you know, first of all, when we left Gainesville, we felt, okay, we all roads point back to his hometown. We have to go there. We have to get more information, get more interviews, and try to go to this house. We had no idea if the people who currently own the house would even entertain the thought of even talking to us or, or doing an interview, much less letting us investigate there. We get there to find Sheila Jackson, the current owner, just a fantastic lady. And, you know, we ask if we could speak to her. And Did she, sure know, enough, about the, did she know about the history of the house? She did. She okay. did. Uh, to her, uh, you know, it, it was a house they could afford. They, they didn't think it was that big of a deal. It, you know, it was over and done with. She, she would say the neighbors certainly didn't forget. People wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street for the longest time. And uh, they didn't have any problems. They lived there, you know, for quite some time with mm-hmm. no issue. But then she tells us that right around Thanksgiving of 2006, just like a switch, paranormal activity starts happening in their house. And what's interesting about that is he was executed only a few weeks earlier. October 25th, 2006. Yes. And then, uh, Hmm. you know, she started to give me a tour of the house. And when she began to tell me what was happening to her and her husband, it was, it was atrocious. I mean, they were being physically attacked. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it, it was, it was horrible. So immediately she was asking us, will you investigate? So, of course, we were like, absolutely, and we just jumped right on into it. Could it have been him in the spirit world? That, you know, that was my theory to begin with, you know, and as I told her, I was like, you know, I definitely believe you are having these experiences, 
let us investigate and try to find out who it may be. It may not even be Danny, because you never know you know what you're dealing with on the other side. But it became clear and pretty evident uh, early into the investigation that we thought we were dealing with the spirit of Danny. And it also seemed that there was something else there that was much more powerful than what he could ever be as a human spirit. It's been 15, 16 years since you were in that house. Do you think she's still in there, the uh, owner? Uh, well, no, this this was recently with, with Danny Rowling when we were at at his house. Oh, you Trump. were? Okay, so you, you didn't go there right after he died. This was No, burning. no. Okay. Is she, is she still in that house, though? Yes, yes, she is still in that house. Why, do, why didn't she just sell it and get out of there? You know, you know, I asked her that, and, you know, and she just told me that, you know, they just simply, you know, couldn't afford to. And, you know, one of the things that she uh, showed me that really shocked me, we were in mid-conversation, and she said, you know, right here where we're standing in the kitchen, this is where Danny Rowling shot his father. And then she points up and says, right there's the bullet hole. And plain as day, there's a bullet hole right through the cabinet door. I reached up, I opened it, you could see... Uh, the bullet exit and everything. And nobody just, patched it or anything? Nobody patched it. It's exactly as it was when this happened in the 90s. It was unbelievable. Do you think, when you when you were in the house, did you sense anything? Absolutely. When I first came in there, there was a really, really heavy feeling. I mean, you know, you often hear that when you, know, when you talk to a paranormal sure. investigator. But yeah, but it really was. It was very stagnant, very dense. The house seemed unusually dark even though there were a lot of windows with you know blinds that were cracked open um you could see that that sheila was affected you could just tell you know she was um kind of you know on edge in a way uh you could tell that she had been worn down from whatever was there and you just felt like you were being watched you know literally i mean anywhere you every room she took me to it's as if something kind of was following us around did you bring in a catholic demonologist as well Yes. Yes, we did. Michael Salerno. What made you do that? Well, you know, I've known Michael for a while, and any time that we get into a case that we truly believe is demonic, you know, when we vetted it to the point where that's our true belief, uh, we try to bring in somebody that could try to bring some type of resolve, and in this case, it was a minor rite of exorcism. And what did he sense? Well, as soon as, you know, we we basically... <sighs> spoke to him throughout the entire case, and we were giving him all the information about what we were experiencing. And of course, he's looking for the telltale signs of the demonic. And once we knew and he believed that we knew this is what was happening, we brought him in right away. Um, right when we walked into the house, you know, he, he looked at me and said, yeah, it, you know, it's here. You yeah, know, we, let's get down to business right now. Let's get this started. And is Danny Rowling still hanging out there, you think? You know, I don't I don't believe so. I've reached out to Sheila recently, and she even left me a voicemail, which actually plays at the end of the documentary, uh, Scream the True Story, and she leaves a, a pretty wonderful message saying that nothing is happening. You know, But we always know that it's possible to come back, but it's been a few months now, well, actually several months now, and so far it's clear. How do people see the documentary Scream? Uh, it's on the streaming platform Discovery+. Plus. Oh, perfect. Okay, good. How many have you done now? Ten? 
Well, I've done uh, 10 of my own independent documentaries and uh, two of the Shock Doc series for Discovery+. Plus. Uh, the first one was Ed Gein, The Real Psycho, and this one that was just released Friday is Scream, The True Story, because, of course, Danny Rowling's The Gainesville Ripper was the inspiration for the screenplay Scream, The Movie. Is Ed Gein the one who cut the skin off people and would wear it? Yes. That's what Silence of the Lambs was based on, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Silence of the Lambs, and the character Norman Bates and Psycho were, were all inspired. Now, by was, was Ed Gein also abused as a kid, Steve? He absolutely was. Uh, he was abused, actually, by his mother, uh, and she was also extremely uh, religious, but, you know, but used... In, in a sick way. In a sick way, absolutely. Not not the proper context, you know, and she instilled a, a dark hatred in him uh, toward women, uh, it, just all kinds of masochistic-type behavior, and uh, again, another, unfortunately, another tortured soul. And I guess Ted Bundy, same thing. Something happened to him as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no question, I believe, that when it comes to these notorious killers that, you know, that, that surface, you know, and then sadly part of you thinks how many are out there roaming that have never been caught. But, you know, from the one, you know, but history shows and, and data shows that there's quite a pattern that seems to be in the childhood. They seem to be lashing out at the people who abuse them through other yeah. people. Yes, yeah, and just repeating the cycle, essentially. Stephen, in your house, when you found out that a couple people had been murdered, did, did, did your parents didn't know that? You know, it's there was a lot of there was a lot of rumor and, and innuendo about that, and a lot of different things, and people didn't really want to talk about that. And I just kind of feel that they, um, you know, much like Sheila and other people that you know have a property. Uh, they kind of look at it as, well, you know, that it's something that happened and it's best just not to talk about it. And many people don't consider the paranormal side of things. And, you know, and even during that time frame, and sadly, even now, even though it's much more common that people are open about it, uh, back then it was extremely taboo, sure. uh, you know, to be saying your house was haunted or you were dealing with spirits. And this was near Saginaw, Michigan? Yeah, yeah, north of Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. I mean, they, they hardly have any murders there, right? Right, yeah, no, it's definitely not a common thing, but, you know, sadly, it, unfortunately, it does happen everywhere. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.